Well, uh, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all here. I, uh, I usually sit in the back, so I usually get to see just the back of everybody's heads. Um, so it's nice to see the front of all your heads this morning uh, from the front. Um, I'm going to begin. Uh, I'm going to begin this morning with a fictional story or parable. There was a dangerous sea coast where shipwrecks were frequent, and a crude small rescue station was built. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat and a few devoted crewmen. But they kept a constant watch over the sea, with no thought for themselves. They went out day or night, tirelessly searching for any who might need help. Many lives were saved through their devoted efforts. After a while, the station became famous. Some of those who were saved, as well as others in the community, wanted to be a part of the work, so they gave time and money for its support. New boats were bought, additional crews were trained, and the station grew. Now, some of the members became unhappy that the building was so crude. They felt that a larger, nicer place would be more appropriate as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots with hospital beds, and they put in better furniture, and they enlarged the building. Soon, the station became a popular gathering place for its members to discuss the work and to visit with each other. They continued to remodel and decorate until the station more and more took on the look and character of a club. Fewer members were interested in going out on rescue missions, so they hired professional crews to do the work on their behalf. The rescue motif still prevailed in the club emblem, stationery, email signature. There was even a lifeboat in the room where they held uh, club initiations. One day, a large ship was wrecked off the coast and the hired crews brought in many boatloads of the cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty, bruised, and sick. Some had black and yellow skin. The beautiful new club was wrecked. So the property committee immediately had a shower built outside where the shipwreck victims could be cleaned up before coming inside. Most of the members, excuse me, at the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the rescue activities altogether because it was a bit unpleasant and it was a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Some members insisted on keeping rescue as the primary purpose and pointed out that after all, they're still called a rescue station. But those members were voted down and they were told that if they wanted to save lives, they could begin a station of their own down the coast. <laughs> uh, as the years went by, the new station that was built down the coast, the new station gradually faced the same problems the other one had experienced. It too became a club, and its rescue work became less and less of a priority. The few members who remained dedicated to life-saving began another station, and history continued to repeat itself. And if you visit that coast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown. So what we see here in this parable, what we see here is the rescue station going into a state of complacency, and we see that complacency kills. 
Last week, Jason looked at the letter to the church in Thyatira, which was making compromises. This week, we're looking at the letter to the church in Sardis, which has gone beyond compromise into complacence. The Sardian church looked a bit like the rescue station from the story. It had experienced success in the past, and it had a good reputation in the community. But like the rescue station, the Sardian church has lost its way and is living off of former glory. The Sardian church, like the rescue station, is complacent and is no longer working in accordance with its purpose. There are many churches like this. There are many Christians like this, too. Are you complacent in your walk with Christ? Have you strayed from your purpose and your true identity as a follower of Christ? Are you lost? And if so, if you are lost, how do you find your way back? See, complacency kills. Complacency is how ships run aground on a reef. Complacency is why distracted driving leads to collisions. Complacency in relationships ruins friendships. It ruins marriages. And spiritual complacency wrecks our walk with Christ. So complacency kills. Fortunately, there is a solution. Looking at verse 1 of the passage, Jesus says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. The Sardian church has a problem. Think back to the four letters that we've looked looked at so far. When Jesus addresses the other churches, there's always been something positive to say, but not here. We jump right in. I know your works. You have the reputation of life, but you are really death. The only deed that Jesus mentions that the church has accomplished is their reputation, and their reputation isn't even true. It's a bit like a plastic plant. From a distance, A plastic plant looks nice. Maybe it brightens up the room. It adds something to your surroundings. But when you get up close, it's easy to spot that it's a fake. There is no true life, only an imitation. Jesus gets a bit more specific in the second half of the next verse. In verse 2, he says, I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. The work of the Sardian church is not complete. It doesn't meet God's standard. Like a construction project stopped partway through, the facade is up, but the inside is empty. So to summarize, Jesus says, I know your works. Your reputation is false and your work is incomplete. The works that you have accomplished are just complacence. And if that's the feedback that I got from my boss at my annual review, I would not be pleased. But what if that was the feedback that I got and it was true? See, Jesus is the authority over the church. He's the authority over the church in general, and he's over the authority over the Sardian church specifically. And he says this about himself in the beginning of the letter. At the, in the beginning of the first verse, he says to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. The seven spirits of God is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Uh, and the seven stars we know from the end of chapter one are the angels. And there's seven angels because there's seven churches in the seven letters that we're looking at. Uh, and these are the seven angels. And Jesus has the seven spirits, and the seven stars in the sense that they are his possession. He owns them. And so this introduction into his letter, he is reminding the Sardian church, he is reminding them of his sovereignty, his absolute authority 
over their church. So he knows. He knows exactly what is going on in that church. The church is his possession. He knows. So, it's not a great performance evaluation, but it's even worse if it's true. So, complacence kills, and here, spiritual complacence has killed the Sardian church. Now, there's a solution, and the antidote to complacence is vigilance. This is what Jesus tells the church they must do. He says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Wake up! We should be yelling this. It it, it means become watchful. This is more than just not sleeping. It's a change of condition from passiveness to active watchfulness. Vigilance is the key to defeating complacence. If you know know Harry Potter, which I know many of you here do, uh, we know that Mad-Eye Moody is constantly admonishing people, constant vigilance. And he yells it all the time, and that's what we want here. That's what Jesus is asking for. The church must move to a state of constant vigilance, constant watchfulness, being on guard for any indication that their walk with Christ is slipping away. And this isn't just about external corruption. Yeah, there are external forces, uh, the culture around us, uh, things that can affect us that we can let slip in, but that's not what this is about. This is about keeping watch over the internal over our own internal tendency to stray. We must be vigilant. Jesus tells the church, strengthen what remains and is about to die. Strengthen here, like the command to wake up. Strengthen is a change of state from something you've not been doing to something that you are actively doing. Think of it like building muscle when you exercise. You're either actively strengthening your muscles or your muscles are deteriorating. There's not a middle ground. In the same way, your life as a Christian, in your life as a Christian, you are building and strengthening your relationship with God, your walk with the Lord, or your walk with the Lord is waning. There is no middle ground. Complacency kills, strengthening rebuilds. So Jesus has given us two commands here so far in verse 2. Constant vigilance and strengthen what remains. So this is the what. This is Jesus telling the Sardian church what to do. Next, he's going to tell them how to do it. Let's look for three commands. And this is at the beginning of verse 3. Jesus says, remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. So there are three commands here. Remember, keep, and repent. The first one, remember what you have received and heard. Remember is active, and it's more than just recalling something from memory. Yes, sometimes remember means just recalling something from memory, but here it means more than that. Let me give you an example. Denise's birthday is coming up next month on 19 September. It's the same date every year, so it's fairly easy for me to keep that straight and remember when it is. Um, But let's just imagine... Uh, that the 19th of September, it comes and goes, nothing happens. There's no celebration, there's no gift, there's nothing like that. Uh, Afterwards, a few days later, maybe Denise might come to me and she might say, did you forget my birthday? I might reply, oh no, I didn't forget it. It was on the 19th. Now, that's never happened, praise the Lord. But if it did, do you think Denise 
would feel like I actually remembered her birthday. I could tell her when it was. I could recall it from memory, but I didn't do anything about it. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Remember what you received and heard. And so, taking action is an integral part of remembering and what Jesus is talking about here. Um, And what is it that has been received and heard? We're supposed to remember what was received and heard. What is this? It is the teachings, Scripture, tradition. Hearing, like remembering, involves action, not just to listen, but to believe and act upon the teachings. And the Sardians have received teachings. They have received the Scriptures, and not only did they receive instruction, but they acted upon it. But this was in the past, and now Jesus is calling them to return to this, return to remembering and acting on what you have heard. Second, Jesus says, keep, keep it. Remember what you've received and heard, keep it and repent. So, keeping works hand in hand with remembering. Keeping means obedience. Jesus calls on them to obey what He has called them to remember. Grant Osborne says it like this. He says, spiritual vigilance is seen in perseverance and obedient living of these spiritual realities. The things that we learn from Scripture, the teachings that we learn, are more than just facts or stories in a book. These are, as Osborne puts it, spiritual reality. They are real and they are true. To know the Scripture and to not live in accordance with it, to not obey it, is foolish complacence. It's like the man in James that looks in the mirror and sees, he studies his face intently, and then when he walks away, he immediately forgets what he looks like. It's foolishness. We must keep what we have received and heard. Third, the third command, or the third how that Jesus gives is to repent. And repentance is more than just confession. Confession is a part of repentance, but there's more to repentance. Repentance means to turn around, make a change. This is a 180-degree turn in the opposite direction. The Sardian church is in a spiritual nosedive, and Jesus' call to repentance is telling them, pull up before it's too late. So, Jesus is calling the Sardian church to action. Wake up! Strengthen what life remains in you. Remember what you believe. Obey it and repent. Pull out of the nosedive. Turn around. Because complacency kills, and vigilance is the cure for complacency. Now, in the second half of, uh, in, of, of verse 3, maybe, maybe uh, we get an answer to a question that maybe somebody's asking, okay, or what? Like, what, what, what if I don't do this? What if I… What is the consequence of continued complacency? What happens if you don't take the cure? So, in the second half of verse 3, uh, Jesus says, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. So, Jesus is giving a warning that if you choose complacency over vigilance, you will not see what's coming. There's a warning here of judgment to be brought against the church. If you recall in the first letter that we looked at a few weeks ago, the letter to the Ephesian church, Jesus calls on the Ephesians to repent, or He will come down and remove their lampstand. 
This is a similar idea here of an imminent judgment against the Sardian church. However, different from the letter to Ephesian, the Ephesian church, here the judgment isn't specified. We don't know, we don't know uh, what it means that, uh, that Jesus says He's going to come against them. And that's okay. It's okay that we don't know what the judgment is because our focus should be on maintaining spiritual vigilance, not avoiding punishment or avoiding judgment. We should be looking for Christ, not looking to avoid punishment. Now, there's also a curious, uh, a curious term in this verse. Uh, Jesus says that I will come like a thief. You might be wondering what that means. Uh, so, uh, we can find out the answer to that just looking back to Jesus' parable of the thief in Matthew. Uh, this is in Matthew 24:43. He says, uh, But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. So, Jesus says, I will come like a thief. And he's saying, uh, he's taking the saying from the parable, and it illustrates the virtue of vigilance over complacence. In the case of the master in the house, he keeps watch to thwart the thief, to keep his house from being robbed. But here in Revelation 3.3, Jesus uses the phrase to illustrate the foolishness of complacence. He says, if you're not keeping watch, then when my judgment comes, it will be unexpected. So, Jesus leaves this warning of what can happen in continued complacence. But there is hope. So, complacence kills and vigilance, what, what exactly does vigilance do? Well, vigilance leads to victory. Let's look at the next, the next two verses, verses 4 and 5. Jesus says, yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So not all is lost for the Sardian church. There is a remnant of faithful followers of Christ in the church. This is the little strength that remains that Jesus refers to earlier in the passage. Followers of Christ, these are followers of Christ who haven't given themselves over to complacency. They have maintained vigilance. They haven't soiled their garments. And their reward? Their reward is Christ. Their reward is to walk with Jesus and to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit, to be made holy and pure. These followers have resisted the temptation to live complacent Christian lives. Rather, they have remained faithful, watchful, and vigilant. The same is promised here in verse 5 to all who conquer, who are victorious over complacent Christianity. Two weeks ago, uh, Will looked at the letter to the Pergamum church, and it, in that letter, the faithful received a white stone with their name on it. Here, the victorious vigilant receive white robes. Roman citizens wore white robes to celebrate military victories. Here, the victory is over temptation to be an unfaithful follower. The victorious vigilant will never have their names removed from the book of life. Roman cities kept registers of their citizens in big books. 
To have your name removed from the book meant exclusion from society. Here, victory means citizenship in heaven. And finally, Jesus will confess the names of the victorious in heaven before His Father and before all the angels. So, complacence kills, but vigilance leads to victory. Complacency kills, and spiritual complacency kills spiritual life. But spiritual vigilance leads to victory. Those who are victorious receive Christ. They receive new life in Christ. They receive citizenship in heaven, and they receive future, a future, a new future in heaven with Him. The, um, the end of the letter, the last verse, verse 6, concludes in a way that, if you've been following along, is quite familiar to us by now. Uh, Jesus says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, above, earlier we discussed what hearing means, and here, hearing, let him hear what the Spirit says, is the same. It's more than just listening. It means acting on what's been heard. So, let us pray, asking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, speak to me through these words. Help me to apply Your Word in my life. Let's listen to the Spirit and act on what we hear. Let's choose vigilance. And this letter, this letter was written in a time and place for a reason. So, as the saying goes, this letter wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. This letter was written to a church, a whole, a group, but we, we are all individuals. So, how does this, how does this work how does this work for us? Now, as I look at this letter, if I'm paying attention and if I'm being honest with myself, I see that this letter could have been written about me or to me. It just happens that it was written 2,000 years ago before I was born. But what if I had lived in Sardis back then? Or what if Jesus sent this letter now to Galway in 2021? Would I be among the Christians whose work is incomplete in the sight of God? Or would I be among the faithful few, the vigilant? Where would you be? I have spent loads of my Christian life in a state of spiritual complacency rather than vigilance. So I know firsthand from my own experience, I know that complacency kills. But I also know that vigilance does lead to victory. And usually what happens is that I'm going back and forth between the two, between complacence and between vigilance. And let's not be confused. What we're talking about in this letter, we're not talking about losing your salvation. That doesn't happen. And so that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is the inner struggle of spiritual life in a broken world and the pull to give in to a complacent lifestyle or to a complacent spiritual life. So, what can we do about this? Well, we can certainly follow the commands that Jesus gave the church in Sardis. So, first of all, wake up, be vigilant, and then strengthen in your life what is weak and dying. Remember what you have heard, because if you're a Christian, and this is a letter to Christians about their complacence, if you're a Christian, you have received the gospel. You have accepted it. 
Remember the gospel. Remember what you have heard and believed in the past, and then keep it. Obey it. And finally, repent. Turn around. Run back to Jesus. So, we looked at these just now, uh, but I'd also like to give you a few practical things you can try. Uh, these are just things from my own life uh, that I have found helpful. Um, sometimes it can be particularly difficult to wake up because sometimes, see, sometimes you know that you're in a spiritual stupor and you know, oh, I need to, I need to turn this thing around. Sometimes you don't and you need an external source to yell at you, wake up! And I think that's some of what is meant in Hebrews when the author writes about, in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, when he writes about, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works and to encourage one another. This is, this is why, um, this is a part of why it's so important to be part of a local church, a local community of believers, because we encourage each other and we yell, wake up at each other time and time again. And it's great to have somebody, to have somebody come alongside you when you need a good yelling at. Sometimes, though, you need to figure out how to wake up on your own. So, I, in my car, uh, I have, uh, it's the first time I've had this, it's called LDA, it's Lane Departure Assistance, or something like that. And when I'm driving, I'm driving my car, and if I drift, and I start to drift over the line, the car sees the line somehow, you know, computer magic, and then it beeps at me, and it's telling me, hey, get back in your lane. And so there's a few things that I have in my life that I use that are kind of like a lane departure alert. It's more like a spiritual complacency alert uh, that, that sets off little, little flags in the back of my mind and let me know, hmm, something's not right here. So here are a few things that I use in my life uh, uh, that maybe you can use too. So a really simple one is, where is your Bible? So Part of that question could be, do you even know? Part of that question could be, oh, it's right there, but it's covered in dust. Part of that could be, for me, I have a stack of books that I set on my desk that I read, and I stack them on top of each other, and when I'm done reading it, I put it back on top. Um, so if my Bible, if it starts to work its way down in that stack, I know that there's a problem. How about prayer life? And specifically, when, I th when I'm thinking about my, for myself in prayer life, I'm thinking about uh, normally, uh, you know, in our full church service, we have every week a prayer of confession or a time of confession. And if that time comes around and I can't think of anything that I need to confess, that's a warning to me. That lets me know, hmm, I'm not really in tune with what's going on. Communion. Communion is another good time uh, to have a little check-in with yourself and to think, how am I doing? How is my walk with the Lord? What do I need to change? And it can be hard to reconnect with God when you haven't connected with Him in a while. It can be hard when you're extremely busy, or if you're like me, when you are very easily distracted. Spending time in prayer, spending time in the Word, and spending time at church are critical parts of the Christian life, and they're very important in the fight to stay vigilant. And here are some things that help me, and none of these are particularly earth-shattering, but I'm just mentioning them uh, because I know that they work. So, have a special location for your time that you spend with the Lord. And sometimes, like, like I have a location where I sit, 
and this and I and I I don't do goofing around stuff there. You know, I don't get on Facebook or, you know, read a novel. I only I only go to this place uh, when I'm going to do something serious, uh, and that really helps me to be in the right mindset when I'm in this place. Sometimes though, that's not enough, and I'll take uh, like a folding chair. Uh, I, we, we have some folding chairs for when we have company, and I'll and I'll take that into the spare bedroom, into the guest room, uh, where there's nothing in there, and I'll set it by the window, and maybe I'll use that for a couple weeks uh, if I'm having trouble getting in in contact with the Lord or connected to the Lord because uh, now I'm in a new location and I don't have all my normal stuff around me to bother me. Uh, sometimes I go out to the shed. Sometimes it's a walk. Um, sometimes I write in a journal that helps me to. Uh, organize my thoughts, and it helps me to slow down so my mind isn't racing so fast. Another one is to just read something. Sometimes I read a psalm. Uh, I have a book, uh, a great book, uh, called The Valley of Vision of Puritan Prayers, and that really, if you're feeling good about yourself, that's one that'll help you uh, to, to remember where you're at, because the Puritans were really in tune with the human spiritual condition. Uh, and sometimes I read something else. I have a little a little book uh, of history, uh, like short historical articles, um, and I use that sometimes when I can't focus. And I'll spend ten minutes reading an article out of there, and then it teaches me, it, or it, it takes my mind and it puts my mind into the mode of, and now we're going to focus on something. And then I can have a devotional time, and I can spend time in prayer and reading, uh, reading God's Word. Last, and the most important, ask God to help you. Ask God to help you. These are His rules. This is His book. You're a Christian because of Him. You are saved because of Him. So why not ask Him to help you to return to Him, to grow your relationship with Him? So complacency kills, but vigilance leads to victory. And like I said before, let's choose vigilance. If you want a memory verse to work on this week, you could choose 1 Peter, excuse me, 1 Peter 1.13. Peter says, prepare your minds for action, being sober-minded, and set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. And I think we can take that this week as we go forward and put our hope in Christ and ask Him to help us to be vigilant. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for Your help. We ask for You to send Your Holy Spirit to soften our hearts because some of us here, there are some here, some of us, we don't want to come back to you, or we haven't heard the wake-up call. So we ask you to soften our hearts towards you. We ask you to help us to remember the things, the things that we know but we've forgotten. God, remind us of your love for us. Remind us of Jesus and why you sent him. Maybe you have to remind us that you sent him, but Lord, draw us to you. Give us the desire to spend time with you. Give us the desire to love you and to know you. 
And as we go forward in this week, help us, help us to be vigilant, certainly of the things around us that can invade and erode our spiritual lives, but of the internal things, of our internal tendency to wander. Lord, help us to see, to see when we are starting to pull astray, and help me to come back to you. Lord, we pray all these things in your name. Amen.